iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo, technology. What is it all about? Yeah, this is a manufacturing facility. So you can kind of see this is, uh, this is bonding. So this is all within a, like a fume hood. The fuselage gets bonded together. So you can see a whole bunch of fuselages here waiting to get turned into airplanes. This is uh, the wing mold. So this is where we're manufacturing wings. And then here's what the wing looks like once the airspeed sensor is added on, basically ready to be assembled into final aircraft. And then if we run over here, you can kind of see these boxes are planes that are heading out to either Rwanda or Ghana or uh, the US. Anyway, that's the quick tour. You know, we're still... I mean, we like 20 million people depend on us with the lives of their kids and and themselves, and so we don't we you know we don't get to shut down like we we have to keep operating to keep this service running, especially like because of COVID 19, the demand has suddenly just kind of like gone through the roof. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Coming to you live from hastily thrown together workstation in my bedroom. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, and this week I am on vacation. Yes, and in the age of coronavirus, that actually means I'm doing basically the same thing I do during my work weeks, which is trying to keep the kids entertained and engaged. But the bonus being that I don't have to run off into the corner of the house to do interviews or stay up till. 2 a.m. writing stories for the newspaper. I needed a week off. I needed a little bit of a break. Um, We've been on lockdown here for basically a month. So I figured I'm not going to take any vacation for the rest of this year actually going anywhere. So why not take a little rest? But all that said, I wanted to bring on another past guest uh, to the show this week. And he was actually one of my favorites that we've ever had on the pod. His name is Keller Renato. And he is the founder of Zipline, which is a maker of drones that deliver blood and medicines uh, in Africa. They literally drop blood from the sky, little parachutes, uh, to hospitals. And uh, they're doing it now in two countries, Rwanda and Ghana. They've raised over $200 million. They're worth over a billion. And they've really become the kind of the delivery system for critical medical supplies in those countries. And I wanted to catch up with Keller just to see how the coronavirus might change how they operate. And really, uh, in America, fast-forward drone delivery of medical supplies in an age where basically everybody is told to stay home. And for listeners of the program, um, you may recall that last time we interviewed Keller, we were in a remote field in Northern California. They were doing test flights of their drones. and, And obviously, a lot has transpired since then. But I will let Keller explain about how coronavirus is really changing the rules 
especially around autonomous delivery and drones, and may usher in a new world of robotics and robots in our daily lives. So here he is. Enjoy. So there's obviously a lot to dive into, but before we do that, could you just give a brief potted history of Zipline? Because you may or may not recall, I was out. In I remember the, it. That sucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the in the in the field, and we, we did an interview in your trailer, and then that was probably eighteen months ago. Where have you got to in that pa- in this past year and a half? What's what's happened? Kind of what you what are you guys up to now? So about a year ago, we were operating one commercial distribution center. We're now operating in in Rwanda. In Rwanda. Yeah, when you visited, we're now operating five, soon to be six. We've gone from serving about three million people then to serving around twenty million people today. The number of flights we do has increased way more than that, more than fivefold, because even from the distribution centers where we are operating, we're doing about three times as many. Just from that one distribution center, for example, that we had when you came and visited us, we're doing about three times as many deliveries a day as we were a year and a half ago. So not only you know is the kind of usage rate going way up at just in for the hospitals and health facilities that we do serve, but also we've gone from... I mean, when you were here a year and a half ago, we were serving, I think, 20 hospitals. And today we're contracted right. to serve 2,500 hospitals and health facilities. 2,500. Right. And those contracts, is that, are you a supplementary service or are you the service? It depends on what product we're talking about. It's kind of both. So for products that are either cold chain dependent or really expensive or short shelf life or needed on an emergency basis, we're typically the deli- like the primary delivery mechanism. Like blood. Blood's a really good example of one of those products. Anti-rabies is another good example. Anti-venin for snake bites, another good example. Some immunotherapy is a good example. It just doesn't make sense to stock it at the hospital because it's, it's very expensive and you just want to send it when the patient's actually there and needs it. But then for everything else, I mean, we now stock 160 products in our, in our facilities. And 160 different SKUs, so 160 different kinds of products. And for other things, we're the deliverer of last resort. So really important things like anti-malarials or antiretrovirals for HIV or um, insulin for diabetes. Like these are really good examples of products that are stocked at the hospitals, but if they stock out, we can restock them instantly. And so where where are you operating? When what countries are you operating now? We're operating in Rwanda and Ghana at national scale in both countries. We've just signed a big contract in India uh, to launch in Maharashtra state. We'll be serving about 40 million people there. We'll have more news. There'll be one other country that we're announcing in the next probably three months in Africa. And then obviously the U.S. is a huge kind of a, a huge focus for the company right now. And, and you know, the plan had been to launch in October. This was kind of the timeline that we have been working on with the FAA. But now it's actually looking like there's an opportunity to do something in the next month, like way, way more quicker in response to COVID-19 to enable U.S. healthcare system to kind of like meet some of the urgent needs that, that we're seeing. The places you are now, Ghana, Rwanda, and India, these are all, let's call them infrastructure poor places where if you have to travel in some places 10 miles by road, it can take you half a day or a whole day, depending on the roads, etc. which is obviously one of the great kind of problems that if you go going by air, you can solve. What is the kind of the the proposition in America? How does it differ from what you're doing in, you know, kind of different parts of the developing world? The funny thing is, I think that it's probably 
And I think this is just partly the like paradigm or just, I don't know, not, not stereotypes, but just like the way that we tend to think about like healthcare systems in Africa. The reality is the needs are really similar to the needs of our healthcare system. Like most of the hospitals we serve, there are good roads to, for example. Not some of the health facilities. A lot of the health facilities, it really is the case. Like we're serving places that it's just unbelievably hard to get to. And that is a big advantage. But all the hospitals that we serve and have been serving for four years have pretty good roads. So the difference is not like, oh, you can't reach it because there isn't a road. The difference is really more like by centralizing inventory, you can dramatically reduce waste and increase access to these products on an emergency basis. And that's useful everywhere. Like Rwanda and the U.S. have similar waste rates of blood, for example. It's about 7%. And we currently deliver 75% of the national blood supply of Rwanda outside of Kigali. So, you know, we're doing almost all blood for the country at this point, yeah. and we've been able to take them from a 7% waste rate at the hospitals we serve to a 0% waste rate. For people in the healthcare system, when they hear that, it's like completely mind-blowing. I mean, this is millions of dollars of this. I mean, it's practically a priceless product. You never have enough of it, and you can't pay to make it that yeah. we just throw away yeah. because we get, it's stocked at the wrong place. You know, it gets, and platelets, for example, only last six days. So 60 to 70% of the need is exactly the same across all these different countries that right. you're looking at. And by the way, you know, those needs are, are becoming even more exacerbated in places like the US now that you have health systems that are close to becoming overwhelmed and populations that are primarily just being quarantined and told to stay at home. Like this is, it, it makes it even more urgent that you have like responsive supply chains. It's a really good time for robots to be making deliveries in contactless ways. We've written a few things in the past couple of years or whatever on drones and the process of them becoming kind of a, a ubiquitous thing or even a th- thing that you would see around in the States. And it's been um, a slow process. So if you could just talk about where that, that process, where it has got to and what coronavirus has, is doing to that and how that might change. Yeah. I mean, slow is probably <laughs> a kind word. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's a diplomatic word. Yes. I mean, you know, the reality is like these big companies came out, what it was like in 2012, right? And was like, yeah, we're going to be using drones to deliver, you know, your e-commerce packages and obvious. There's the famous uh, 60 Minutes episode with uh, Jeff Bezos saying, right. here's my drone. This is the future for delivery. And that was, I think, five years ago. Eight yeah. years ago. Was that the, tw- the 60 Minutes when Jeff Bezos? Pretty sure it was in wow. 2012. Yeah. That's incredible. Um I, yeah, as so I think slow is probably a kind word. The reality is, you know, we're in a funny position now because this technology is now operating safely at multinational scale, just not here. And so something that still seems impossible to Americans seems completely normal and old hat to Rwandans. <laughs> like they have aircraft flying autonomously throughout the airspace, totally safely, saving lives, making deliveries, serving every hospital and health facility in the country. And it's like, yeah, of course we have autonomous vehicles that do that. Like, how else would you solve that problem? The reality is the U.S. has one of the most complicated airspaces in the world. It's also as a big country, you just have a bigger bureaucracy that manages that airspace. And so, you know, the U.S. is likely not going to be the absolute, you know, front runner when it comes to some some of these kinds of technology. But the nice thing is that uh, you know, we've been working over the last year with the Department of Transportation, with the Secretary of Transportation, as well as with the FAA. They have actually been visiting our distribution centers in Rwanda. We had 45 people from the FAA at our distribution center in Rwanda last month. When it was that due to coronavirus? Or no, it wasn't. Already scheduled? It was, no, it was, yeah, right. it was just planned, planned visit. And I think it was in January. And uh, there's this huge contingent 
a majority, I would say, of people, both in the FAA and in the Department of Transportation, that are saying, hey, the technology is obviously ready for prime time. It's operating in you know, these countries at, at scale. We got to make sure that the US doesn't fall behind in terms of fundamental new technology. I think people underestimate how strong the desire is, even within the FAA, to do this new thing and make sure that the US leads on this front. It's just that you know, there's a huge amount of red tape and regulation and inertia that makes it hard for, for the US to move as fast as it could. And uh, and the reality is, I think, that COVID-19 is going to give a lot of people in the government finally kind of the breathing room they need to basically get started faster. And so, you know, we had already been basically through this partnership, through the integration pilot program, which was created by the, by the Secretary of Transportation a year, a couple years yeah. ago. We were already basically making good progress to launch in the U.S. at scale in October. And now it looks like there's, I think COVID-19 is making it very obvious to everyone that there's an opportunity to use technology like this to begin making deliveries in a contactless way with no risk of infection much sooner than that. And, you know, emergency powers make it much easier for government agencies to try new things. So one of the things I'm trying to understand is, okay, so let's say magically tomorrow you're, you can operate. Where would that be happening? What would you be doing? And this is maybe an obvious question or a dumb question, but what problem would you be solving? Yeah, no, it's not an, it's not an obvious question. Um, so basically, when it comes to what are we going to do specifically, you know, Zipline already has two distribution centers that are set up and operating in the US. We're just operating them under test circumstances in California. Those distribution centers can basically... What, where in California? Well, one you visited... Okay, yeah. Outside Davis. And that distribution center can cover all of Davis, all of Sacramento, basically all of the northern greater Bay Area. Um, And then we also have a distribution center in Half Moon Bay that can be serving all of San Francisco, the entire peninsula. So I think between those, all of those cities, you have something like 15 million people. We could be turning on service to for all of those people, basically instantly. We also because of the work that we did around humanitarian disaster response with the DoD over the last year, have the ability to deploy new distribution centers in about four days. And so we can basically set up new distribution centers anywhere in the country in four days. We only have so much capacity. You can see we're like racing to build more planes and distribution centers. So I would say in the next couple months, we have the capacity to bring on a couple distribution centers. In the next 12 to 18 months, we have the capacity to bring on enough distribution centers to cover like a majority of the U.S. population. And so what does that look like? Is this like, okay, so I'm at home. I think, you know, I develop a cough. I feel not feeling great. I don't want to go to a hospital necessarily. I don't want to risk infecting others. Do I call my healthcare provider and they say, all right, keep an eye on your backyard. Something is about to drop in there and it's a test and you can do it at home or whatever. Yeah. So a whole bunch of different things. So we only started focusing on this because a bunch of hospital networks that we were already working with reached out to us and asked us to start helping. And what they're generally asking for is it's actually a little broader. So A, I mean, yes, in Rwanda and Ghana, we're already stocking like protective equipment. We're stocking a lot of you know, COVID-19 response products, call them. And obviously, the number of products is going to go up as we start getting treatments approved and then hopefully a vaccine approved in the next six to 12 months. We're going to be stocking all of those products. So that is a part of what we're doing, basically making sure that with all of these, especially a lot of these products are in very scarce supply, we're going to centralize the supply, send it when it's needed, and make sure that every single hospital and health facility has access to those products. But it's bigger than that. I mean, the bigger thing is you have a ton of patients in the U.S. with pre-existing conditions who, I mean, all of the normal healthcare needs of the U.S. are still there. 
But suddenly all of these hospitals need to keep those people with pre-existing conditions out because they're the most vulnerable populations and they need to maintain the beds for COVID-19 patients. And so there's already, I mean, and this is a big trend that's been playing out in healthcare for five years, but you need to extend the reach of the healthcare system into the home. And you can do that via telemedicine and you can also do that via a way better instant responsive logistics system, especially one that doesn't depend on humans so that you're, you don't have a risk of infection to these vulnerable populations. You wanna do delivery in a contactless way. Yes, we're stocking COVID-19 products. And a lot of those products though, you can only deliver to hospitals. Like there are now, maybe maybe there'll be stay-at-home tests that are approved. And in that case, we could deliver those products. But I'm just saying a big part of what we're doing is kind of taking those COVID-19 response products and delivering them to hospitals and health facilities. But another big part of it is like, for all the other stuff, for all these patients with pre-existing conditions and all these patients you know, who have serious health conditions who might otherwise be going into the hospital, now it's really important to keep them out of the hospital because you do not want them getting infected and, and you got to maintain the beds for the COVID-19 patients. And so basically making sure that we can treat those patients at home and do more to keep them at home. If they need a product, they ought to be able to just talk to a doctor on a phone and then get that product delivered to them rather than having to go out um, to a pharmacy or to a hospital where they have a significant chance of getting infected. And this is the exact population you do not want to get infected. The broader vision is really just extending the reach of hospitals into neighborhoods and homes directly. And and right. so, yeah, the, the answer to, to your question is basically, yes, that is a part of what we're focusing on, which is basically helping people stay at home. It's actually pretty intuitive. Like if you're in the middle of a global pandemic where humans need to be quarantining at home so that they don't get infected and don't become transmission vectors themselves. That's a great time to have the robots out making deliveries in a contactless, transmissionless way. And what are the limitations? Because obviously, so for people who obviously can't see see this because it's a podcast, the planes themselves, I mean, they, they deliver like one package that is released with a parachute and floats down. And the planes themselves, I think from memory, are made... The body is like styrofoam, and then you have this carbon. Yeah, it's like a carbon fiber composite. It's like a carbon fiber composite skeleton with an outer mold layer. Really simply, like the way this already works at national scale in other countries is basically any doctor or nurse can press a button on a phone, and then we can deliver instantly to their GPS coordinates. Basically, we think of the service as basically just being teleportation or like a magical portal so that we can send things from. Um, a central location where you're storing a lot of rare or short shelf life or cold chain dependent products to any location that needs it. Now, already in Rwanda and Ghana, we've been working with the governments to begin doing kind of like neighborhood deliveries and home deliveries. That's kind of the next big step in the process. Um, And in the U.S., we expect it to work largely the same with our initial customers. We're we're delivering to hospitals and health facilities and also starting to do, we'll we'll be starting to do um, deliveries to neighborhoods and homes. In terms of like how the delivery works, you know, we typically will designate mailbox and the mailbox is about two parking spaces. As long as they have two to three parking spaces that are, you know, in their yard or on the, you know, in their driveway or side of their apartment building, then you can always receive a delivery in this way. It's obviously a little trickier if you're like, hey, well, I live in a skyscraper in Manhattan. Um, But the reality is like, that's actually not like our core target customer today. Those people actually have really good access to like healthcare and logistics generally. And our focus is more on people who live in rural or suburban or peri-urban areas where, you know, you you can easily receive a package in this way. Yeah, there's There's like a little bit of space. Because that's the other thing, just for people who hadn't listened to the previous episode, there's a lot of very smart 
software in here that kind of calculates airspeed and crosswinds and all that stuff so it knows when to drop it to get to point x on the ground correct yep exactly the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers airport please stay on board next stop road station ios helps you control which apps you share your exact location with there's more to iphone it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com in terms of what's happening with coronavirus in where you're operating now in Africa, what's the response there been? Because it feels like, you know, the United States is obviously belatedly waking up to this and reacting in pretty significant ways. It feels like from the reports, at least, that it is slower moving in Africa. Um, is that true? Well, you know, I, 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 testing, I, don't know. I wouldn't assume it's going to be slower moving. I think that it's possible that this I, I do think it's the case that it just started there later. And so they do have the advantage of they have a lot more data than, for example, the U.S. or Italy had. And by virtue of starting later, they're in a position where they have more data. They can respond in a more severe way right up front, which it appears they're doing. And it seems like that's absolutely the right thing to do. So I do think that they're both, you know, it's it's impressive that the governments are taking action in the way that they are. And, you know, they, they have had more time to kind of like see this play out a few more times. But the flip side of it is the virus is potentially much more dangerous in these parts of the world, like India or Africa, because you don't have, I mean, people can't quarantine the same way they do. The population density is 10 times higher at a country level. Like the cities, for example. Or the slums, or even in Rwanda, even in rural areas in Rwanda, it's like, more densely populated than most like peri-urban areas in the United States. And also just like the socioeconomic reality of people is you, you just, it's not like, oh yeah, I can just stay at home for 45 days and not worry about it. I mean, people have to go out and work jobs. They have to earn money and they have to find food. And so the ability of these countries and, and and these countries can't just say like, oh, $2 trillion stimulus. Here we go. We'll pay for everybody. So (laughs) You know, there, for all of those reasons, I actually think it's really important, and, I, and it appears to me that this is the case. So I think these countries are taking the threat even more seriously than the U.S. took it, um, because it actually, I think, in an un- if it were uncontrolled, um, is even more dangerous. And last week we did a, I did a whole big feature on the kind of the future of work and what that that looks like. And I talked to some of, I know that people in the robotics world, everybody kind of knows each other, and. Uh, talk to you know cobalt robotics they make the security robot and they said they have a huge increase in incoming people being like well why am i going to put a 
person in harm's way when I can have a machine there. And the same with like uh, Savvy Oak, they do the the hotel like room service delivery robots, same thing. Oftentimes these big shifts happen by necessity, you know, in in response to a catastrophe or, you know, events, as they say. Do you see this as a moment that there will be a big, a more kind of quantum leap toward automation, toward robotics, toward some of the stuff like what you're working on? Um, Yeah, I do. It reminds me a little bit of World War II. I think that not to like make the World War II, but to make the analogy in a very different way. Like I do think that when the country was facing this extreme threat, it was also a time when you you saw this unbelievable amount of technological progress and innovation in the country in response to a a really serious threat. I think what we're just waking up to now is this is not going to be a short-term thing. You know, any expert you talk to is telling us this is going to be 12 to 18 month battle. The virus is going to mutate. It's going to come, it's going to sweep back through in wave two and or three in the fall. You know, in an uncontrolled way, the virus has the potential to kill, I think, a similar number of people that died in World War II for the U.S. So we should be treating this threat with a similar level of uh, attention. And in the same way that the country, I think, really like stepped up and, and, and innovated, I think we're going to have to do the same here. And so I definitely think that it's an opportunity to find new ways of doing things. And I think that the great thing is that you know, threats bring people together. And I think that that's what's happening from a regulatory perspective. That's what's happening from the technology perspective. That's what's happening from a healthcare perspective. Um, we're all going to have to find new ways of taking care of people. As I mentioned, one of the biggest things that needs to happen is we have to extend the reach of the healthcare system into the home. It has to be way more convenient. It has to go to where the people are because it's suddenly a really bad idea to have the people going to the hospitals unless they unless right. they have COVID-19. And just on the capabilities of, of the drones, how many deliveries can they make in a day? So each distribution center today you know, is designed to make uh, up to 500 deliveries a day. So we're, we're typically delivering like 1,000 kilograms of product a day roughly. That, that, that's like the overall capability of the system. You know, we can always increase that over time. We just add more aircraft. But each distribution center has about 30 aircraft. And the aircraft can be making deliveries all day long, 24-7. Right? That's yeah. kind of the advantage of automated systems. And so, and then just finally, uh, you can throw it forward a little bit, and then I'll let you get back to more important matters. Um, but if we look two or say, let's look three months out, do you think it's realistic that, because obviously you guys are one of many companies working on drones, but do you think we'll start to see drones delivering stuff because the FAA has decided that this is a necessary step? Um, do you think we'll we'll start to see these in a way that we just haven't right now? Because, I mean, basically, you know, they're effectively illegal on a commercial basis or very, very limited and still testing. Um, yeah, I'm very optimistic on that. You know, I, I, I don't want to promise something that where ultimately a lot of it is depending on, you know, other players. But I think that we are the, the funny thing from my perspective when we when I hear that question is. It's already so boring to, you know, 25 million people who depend on it with their lives and the lives of their kids every single day. And it's just totally old, old news at this point in these other countries where we already operate. So it is funny that it still seems like this kind of impossible technology that is, you know, could be five or 10 years out in the future. I mean, to us, it seems very obvious it's not five or 10 years in the future. Like it's operating today. It's ready to go. It really just depends. And, and we are ready to serve and excited to serve. It really just depends on the U.S. Um, um, you know, taking that 
taking that step and saying, hey, we, we, we actually want to you know, make sure that we don't just have the infrastructure of the 19th century. We also want to have the infrastructure of the 21st century. And the neat thing is, I think that in a great threat, I think there's also an opportunity for great innovation. That, that's the reason I'm optimistic. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Keller for taking the time amidst all the madness. I want to thank you for listening. And please, just everybody take care of themselves. You know, stay safe. Try to stay sane. These are just really unprecedented times, obviously. And the news just seems to keep getting worse. But hopefully, um, you know, the glimmers of light get brighter. And little things, little advances like this, um, like what Zipline is working on, may in small ways help to ease the burden. And if you take a lot of those little advances and a few big ones, then hopefully we'll get to a better place and a better place soon. But in the meantime, look after yourselves. I will endeavor to do the same. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good week. Bye-bye. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.